This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 54th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. It has been one year since the launch of the book and the podcast show, The Practice of Learning Teams, with my co-authors and hosts, Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson. And what a ride it has been. And who said launching a new venture was a bad idea during a pandemic? We now have over 6,000 regular listeners from 38 countries and 100,000 plus downloads of the content. We thank you for connecting in each week to listen and learn in the new view of safety. Please sit back and enjoy this roundup of my favorite listens in our first year. There were two people instrumental in making learning teams happen for us here. They are Dr. Todd Conklin and Dr. Jay Allen. It's only fitting that part one of the series we feature some excerpts from those conversations with Dr. Todd and Dr. Jay. Uh, look, welcome Todd to uh, episode one, numero umero, number one, first episode of the Practice of Learning Team. <laughs> this is the maiden voyage of your podcast? It is. It's, it's the Wow, what an honor. And um, if we can get half of it right, I'll be happy. Uh, I'm not sure you'll ever get a pod. I don't think podcasts are right or wrong. So I, I think podcasts are just conversations. And to me, there's not a right or wrong. I would just talk to lots of people outside of the field. And we're certainly going to be embracing diversity of thought, as we say. Amen, brother. Process. Absolutely. And um, we're going to be trying to, uh, through, through the series, we're going to be talking to different people in their journey, which I think is amazing. And what's really important is that the listeners out there get to participate as well and we've built what's called a learning journal so at the end of at the end of every podcast um myself uh, glennis and brett robinson we get together and we reflect on what the other person has spoken about and then we ask the listeners to participate in a journal so that they can give us their feedback and in particular talk to us about when do they see opportunities for learning teams and where do they see the barriers for learning teams within the organizational context Wow, impressive. How come you don't call your podcast Two Brents and a Glennis? Well, that, that's actually interesting. Yesterday, Jay called it um, Glennis and, and Brent times two. Or Brent uh, squared. That yeah, would work. Yeah, we are. We are. But look, what I thought, episode one, uh, what I thought would be really useful uh, for the listeners is to basically hear how this crazed idea came about. So that's a good question. So, so we'd... Um, We'd had a really interesting series of operational events at Los Alamos National Laboratory. And we were doing a lot of investigation. And we were we had a cadre of investigators who eventually also became auditors. So, which is, I think, efficient to have auditors and investigators uh, coexist. But the problem is, is that an audit seeks deviation and reinforces compliance and and what was happening is our investigations would then therefore seek deviation 
and really reinforce compliance. Just like so many other companies, it wasn't it wasn't really an unusual problem, but it was interesting. And my boss, Chris, Chris Cantwell, he said, God, I wish there was a way we could just put a bunch of employees in the room and just ask them, what do we need to know about this event? And I said, well, it seems like we could do that anytime. And he said, why don't we just do it? And I said, okay, consider it done. And so we were looking at, I can't even, it's funny, Brent, I can't remember what the event is. I remember the next event because that's kind of important to the story. But the event we're looking at, we brought together a group of workers and we basically just said, this event happened. We can't suck it back. I mean, there's there's no way to change history. What should we learn from this? And it was uh, it was amazing because at first the workers were like, well, uh, how much truth can you handle? Can you handle the truth? You know, how honest you want us to be? And I'm like, eh, near as I could tell, we got about the greenest light we could get on this. Um, the big boss said, do it. Let's just do it. So let's just be honest. So we started talking. And as every good meeting goes, somebody jumped up to the flip chart and started writing down what people were saying. And in a really short amount of time, I mean, stunningly short amount of time, considering we went through the whole storming, norming, forming, and performing, the, the phases of the sort of, you remember those? Yes. Right? Did, did I get them right? Close. Yeah. Yeah, it was close enough, right? Considering we went through all those steps of building trust and opening communication, we probably within the first 45 minutes had the best deepest understanding of the event that transpired that the organization had ever had certainly better than the investigation and again the investigators weren't bad at all they're they're really good they're amazing people but it was just such a different approach and then out of that we decided well maybe uh maybe we should give them some suggestions for a solution and so once we had a really good understanding of what the problem was which is something that always has to exist. And, and I knew that from working with groups my whole career that, you know, you have to define the problem before you can create the solution. So once we had a really good list of what the problem is, and we had this amazing list of conditions, and I just called them conditions. I didn't know what else to call them. I don't know what you'd call them. You know, they could be factors, I guess, but they, they were just conditions. And it was, it was remarkable because none of the comments made by that team were about the people. We, they didn't talk about mistakes or errors in judgment or not falling through. They just talked about the work. And then when we went into the solution set, they actually had some really great ideas that didn't track with the, the corrective actions that were a part of the investigation and the management review. So we had kind of an alternative set of data that we gathered in kind of a cool way. So I checked back in with my boss, as was the practice, you know, before you go home, you kind of go hang out in your boss's office, or, or we did, because Chris was, a, I mean, he still is, he's a great, he's an amazing guy. And he just said, well, how'd the great experiment go? And I said, you know, dude, we should be doing this for everything. I said, this was amazing. I said, it was faster, it was way more palatable, and it was much better information. And people left engaged and happy, I said, it's, it's kind of an amazing tool. And he said, well, what should we call it? And I remember I was standing in the hallway in front of his office and I said, I don't know, let's not give it some kind of gimmicky name. Let's, let's make the name describe what it is. 
And he said, well, what are you thinking? And I said, let's call them learning. And we call them learning. And the amazing thing is, is now I kind of wish we'd have named it something differently because I'm not sure that's, I mean, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know if it's the best name or not. It's the name that you make up in the hallway. But I remember talking to Chris and saying, let's make the name describe what it is. So let's not call them, you know, grassroots safety or informal investigation or, or employee engagement sessions. Let's just call it a learning team. It's a team of people brought together in an ad hoc fashion, almost always directly involved with the event or potential event, unless they're not. And the reason I say unless they're not is because we learned really early that sometimes you need to bring engineering in, or sometimes you need to bring maintenance in, or sometimes you need to bring in somebody who has expertise about a process because the more you look at the conditions present in the event, the more the event moves from the ash pile, from the, from the consequence back into the context. And the context is almost always a place where the workers have very, very little influence and even smaller amounts of control. How many podcasts did you have to get through before you know you're going to make it? Was it fake? Well, I normally, I, I normally tell people 13 is, is normally the cut. Most people don't make it past episode 13. So congratulations, you are now in part of the new frontier. Wow, 21, 21 episodes. And, and of course, we'll, we'll have a massive get together for the 100th. <laughs> By then, hopefully we'll be able to travel. Well, it depends on how frequently you start actually pumping these things out. If you start going next week, you're going to start doing one a day, then we not, might not hit it that quick. Exactly. No, no, <laughs> I'm still keen to keep it weekly. <laughs> <laughs> so how, what have you experienced so far? Have you liked it? Have you liked going through the process? Was it a little bit more involved than what you originally thought? Uh, look, it was, there, there were certainly some parts of it which were uh, much better than we ever expected. And there are other parts which were much harder. And I think, you know, from my from my perspective, uh, post-production has really been straightforward. Uh, I think the issue here is um, some of the recording issues that you encounter with some of this technology is uh, quite fascinating on, on a good day in that. Uh, and just, you know, coordinating people and, and, and uh, ma making sure that everyone stays on track has been really, been really, really useful. Um, but COVID uh, has certainly uh, made having these types of things become more of a norm. Absolutely. Pre-COVID, it would have been a lot of fixation on people's audio level quality. And those... <laughs> so hold on, are you saying the standards have went down because of COVID? <laughs> I think everyone's used to um, poor quality when it comes to video calls and, and, and video use in, in that way. So, as you see this then, do you think that this has advanced quite a bit then because of COVID? Do you look at it that we're more, we're willing to accept different things because we don't have very high expectations? We're not expecting broadcast quality. We're not expecting to be the next CNN, quote unquote, from like here in the US or something along those lines? Yeah, look, and, and I think, I mean, both of us make you know, good effort to, um, to do, use some interesting backgrounds and have some decent <laughs> lighting and some decent quality. But you know, <laughs> people are slapping on a, uh, a headset doing a Britney Spears, um, <laughs> that's about their limit. 
So, I mean, I can I can put I can put on a pair of headset a headset on. I mean, but let's take a look at your background here at the moment. You're definitely like in Santa's workshop or something. Look, I am, and, and look, it's interesting to mention that because I, I got called in to run a conductor learning team because um, <laughs> unfortunately a um, an elf got stuck in a certain type of uh, piece of equipment, and um, the supervising team here uh, weren't particularly happy, and um, you know, um, the blame culture set in, Jay, sadly. Because they're under direct pressure, because December twenty fifth is coming up quite quickly. So, is the elf okay for the most part after being stuck? Well, look, um, the, the good news is they live forever, and um, the good news is that you can still tie a ribbon with one hand. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope the elf takes that kindly then. A absolutely, because we've we've put him into a more productive role going forward. Uh, he's he's going to move into quality control. <laughs> oh, all good time. And I think from our point of view, um, like everything else, we've learnt a lot during this process as well. And I'm I'm really excited about how 2021 is looking to shape up. Um, I, I think there's a lot more optimism out there. And I think that there's going to be a, a lot more focus in 2021 about understanding the value of being a learning organization. I, I think we might see some change in this whole conversation that's being had between safety one and safety two. That 2021 is not the time to be diversive in terms of talking about safety as being uh, two different arenas. And I think, you know, my call, my prediction for 2021 is that there'll be a lot more folks from organizations about understanding what value does safety bring to the organization. And it's, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because if you think, let's kind of go back a year ago and let's go back into the conversation of safety inside of organizations. You know, it was still the bad word. It was a derogatory term when most people mentioned it, something has went wrong. And now we're looking a year now from 19 to 20, of course, and now how things have changed on how those doors are opening up in regards that we want to see what the safety department has to say. We want to have a better understanding on how this all ties into the culture. If you would have told me this a year, that in a year into the future, that this would be the conversation we were having now where people are more acceptable of these things related to safety and how it partakes into the culture, I would have been like, that's the planet I want to live on. But definitely, I didn't think it would be on this version on how it's actually working out. But as you see this, that you see that the future will change in that, I feel that there's been a lot of conversations where people have this false expectation that when 2020 is done, that 2021 will start and everything will be the world of difference. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer, of course, but I also want to have realistic conversations with people that I think that this is going to be such a great launching pad on getting us to where this next level of safety is going to be. And maybe that word is going to go away because it's not going to be so much of your culture in regards of your, or the safety culture where the where the safety will actually be part of the culture of the overall organization. And they're becoming these learning organizations. What do you think about that? Okay, so because learning is key. Learning is key. And if you just think about what we've had to deal with the pandemic, we've had um, at, a, at an individual level, we've had people that have taken learnings from from. Over 19 and have adapted and then we've had groups of people that have uh, remained in that uh, lovely bucket of sand 
Hey, why did you look away from the camera instead of looking directly at me when you said that? Are you trying to say something about the U.S. here? I'm just trying to figure it out. <laughs> well, look, I mean, um, you know, once again, it's a really interesting risk management um, opportunity that's occurred. And every country has done things differently. And even those countries that did something quite radical are now actually paying the price. Because the thing about viruses, they don't understand our rules, our policies, our, our written statements. They don't behave that way. And, and we've certainly seen uh, a really interesting, uh, it'd be really interesting to have a conversation with a human factors person about COVID-19. Oh, absolutely. Maybe that's, maybe that's your next episode. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it would be a really interesting episode. But I think what I'm most proud of is, is actually allowing um, or, or trying to have that broader conversation that learning team stands alone. That Todd's absolute brilliant work with learning teams and hop that learning teams can stand by itself. Well, and that's been the interesting part because you brought the, I mean, let's just be realistic. You looked at the, at the work that Todd had done and you brought this to market as a standalone where a lot of people didn't look at it that way. And it was a concept that you brought into market and it was, your book is so detailed on how to go about it that if I feel based on, of course, reading the thing several times that you can actually grab the book and know what to do. It's not where you read something and go, well, in theory, this sounds good. It was more of, here's the starter, I'm still waiting to see what's going to happen next, but it was definitely a starting point on where you can go and here's the path that you should go down. So what is the group thinking? And I almost feel like I'm, I'm switching the script here, so I apologize okay. to an extent, uh, to an extent, of course. Um, but what do you think? What do you think is going to happen next? Like, wh what are you looking at as you're bringing this to market? I mean, you brought this to the market. It's been out for several months now. Is it doing what you th thought it should be done? Look, it is because it's been really interesting about some of the broader conversations that are being had. And, and undoubtedly, the, the consistent message we're hearing from people is that um, the, the book is that it's past that what to, you know, the whole sort of what the concept. That the book has bridged that difference between um, what it is to how about to start the journey. And, and I think that's been the consistent feedback from people is that um, we've really focused on, on making learning teams more transparent. That previously people felt it was like an art and that they really need to, they really need to be a great artist to be able to perform that art. And well, I, can, I can almost see the point there because there is an art to it. I mean, and you kind of develop that as you go down the path, but I mean, you really give people the entry point of here you go. It, is, it doesn't leave you clueless. And let me, let me explain what I mean there. There has been books that I have left, that I have read, where I will finish the book and I go, did I get like the short end of the stick? Did I get the abridged version? And that's not where I felt, or that's not what I felt with yours. But you did something that was kind of interesting that a lot of people don't go to, where you gave them a community of practice as well, where they could actually go and find out some more information if they wanted to do so. So you, I almost look like this is very strategic on how you set it up. But then at the same time, I look at it and go, were you thinking about this the whole time? Or was this kind of just part of the development as you went through? Uh, the objective, uh, Todd from very early on, really spoke um, a lot about being generous 
and about giving to the community. So from very early on, we wanted to make sure that all the things that we talk about, that the communities can access and can make use of. So that, that was really fundamental from early on, um, from, from our perspective, to basically do that. And, you know, we, we see our role going forward as assisting organisations in how to embed learning teams as an everyday practice or an everyday opportunity. And, and the book really is that framework to, to learn uh, to come from. In terms of it being an art form, um, yes, it is, a, it is an art form in terms of it's a type of skill, a type of competency. But, but what was missing is that people were left to their own devices to work out what that looked like, what that meant. And from our perspective, that really came into that whole notion of um, weaponization. And we were adamant from very early on that whatever we did, um, we know people are going to take it and apply it in their own way. But what strategies can we put in place to try and minimize that type of weaponization from actually occurring? And that's why we really pushed hard to define what does good look like? So what does a good learning team specifically look like? What skills do they need to do that? And then give that a person to evaluate where they're currently at. So let me ask let me ask a strange question there, and I apologize, of course, for <laughs> for asking so many questions. But what do you think an everyday learning team looks like? Like, do you see it as a replacement to, especially for somebody who's brand new into this? So this is maybe the first time they've heard about learning teams. Maybe they've heard a piece of something prior. How does an everyday learning team look from the point of view that you want to actually have this structured? Yes, yeah, so, so I think there's, there's two things. If, if we think about how learning teams have been traditionally used, they have an alternative to an intervention, they've been an alternative to an investigation. But what the learning team shows is it basically shows an accumulation of all that variability that has been occurring over a period of time. So, and we talk about it, we call it macro change. So it's no different. Um, when an event happens, the fact is that work is imagined and work is done, there's going to be a difference between those two things. And that's what really became apparent with the learning team. Except the learning team did it in a way where people felt they were part of the journey and part of the solution, rather than being the problem to begin with. For us, the opportunity here was that if these things build up over time, then what can we do to understand where that comes from, at its point, at its source, and how can we get those teams to self-adjust or self-improve to try and reduce that um, build-up or allow those systems to become more resilient? So at the moment, I'm right in the middle of writing a paper about this whole thing about resilience. Because it's a, it's a big word that's being used, but I don't know if people know what resilience actually means. And, and I really question whether safety systems, when I talk about safety systems, I talk about processes themselves, whether those processes actually can be resilient. I'm not so what do you think? No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's, here's the thing, and this is probably part of the, that's going to get me in trouble. But we tend to repackage some of these things and put keywords that pe that are kind of like the hot words of the moment. 
And it's not really doing the things that they're meant to do, but we use these keywords because that's what might be uh, a search engine optimization. It might be something where it's kind of hot inside of the market, opposed to it actually delivering what people are saying. So when you brought up something earlier where you referenced that you would love to see this change of safety one and safety two, and really just talking about the word safety and how it's going to blend into an organization, organization, I would love to see how that's going to work. And especially if we start, start taking away some of these key things that are mentioned as hot words and hot topics to be actually bring people to quote unquote get the attention. Because let's be realistic. There was a lot of people inside of the risk management area when COVID hit that they repackaged their material to say that they were now COVID experts. Now, we're in December. I still don't truly know any COVID experts per se, but I'm just amazed on the amount of people that repackaged their stuff, repurposed it, resold it, but they're COVID experts. I, would, I had several people reach out to me, um, radio station-wise, where they wanted to run ads, and I refused to do it because I didn't have any COVID experts, and I didn't know of any COVID we go, cleaning yo. solutions. It's the safety net. It's the safety blanket. I want to make sure that we are doing the right thing by our people. I don't think organizations are are malicious in any in any ways. I don't, I don't think that they're doing this just to get the hot topic out. I really think that they want to make sure that people are making But some of these other organizations that are in the market that are trying to sell, I don't think that it's some of the best practices out there. Now, I think that there are companies that are out there that will come out management book hypothetically that they had previously and repackage it as this is how they're going to stop every kind of virus that exists because they repackage it with some key words i think that that's wrong thank you listeners for being part of this podcast We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.